This is the Affirm America podcast, where we stand up and speak out affirming American excellence. Coming to you deep in the heart of the Midwest, located in an undisclosed log cabin on the outskirts of town, your host, Marquis Vandemark. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Affirm America podcast on this Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. Now we got a little cloudy skies out here today. It's uh, still mild in the 50s. Gosh, the Sierra's got dumped on. I saw some pictures up there at Lake Tahoe. It's uh, a winter wonderland. It's amazing how much snow's falling out in California and Nevada. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Affirm America podcast. These are your top five headlines for this Friday, last day of the week. Hope you're having a great time living in the greatest country on God's green earth. All right, let's start off with headline number five. North Korea faces mass hunger as agricultural efforts yield little crop. From the Wall Street Journal, North Koreans are experiencing widespread hunger and dying of starvation as the country suffers one of the worst food crises in decades as a result of its international isolation and natural disasters that have damaged crops, reducing yields. The North Korean regime held an urgent meeting on agriculture and the economy this week. Such a gathering is rare and indicates the seriousness of the shortages. From Reuters, a lack of adequate agricultural infrastructure, machinery, and supplies, including fertilizers and fuel, have made North Korea more vulnerable to natural disasters, experts say. Well, not only uh, shortages of fertilizer and fuel and things like that, but it's really just the whole system of North Korea. It's isolationist. It's a communist country, a dictatorship. These countries around the world, like Venezuela, we can see how communism and the ideology destroys nations. Venezuela is a very good example. It used to be one of the most prosperous countries in the world, and today their money is useless. People are out of work. Inflation is off the charts. People can't get food. It's a prime example why communism is not a good idea. Yet here at home, we see the far left touting socialism and communist ideologies. We see it in the form of censorship. This is the first step towards a dictatorship to limit free speech, freedom of expression. Those are all the tenets of our freedoms. When we lose those, we become a slave to the state, to the dictatorship. North Korea is one of the probably most brutal, most closed society in the entire world. And they've been going through starvation for many, many years, for decades. Their people have been eating the bark off of trees. You know, only the elites that get the brandy and the fine wines and the fine dining, like Kim Jong-un. So this is what you get. You get the elites at the top, and then you get the peasants at the bottom that have the scraps. That's what you get with communism. So it's a very unfortunate, but it is the reality, and I hope the American people don't buy the idea of socialism and communism as a solution for America. 
All right, headline number four. The DOJ says Trump not immune from January 6 can be sued. From Bloomberg, the Justice Department says Donald Trump is not entitled to absolute immunity against civil lawsuits seeking to hold him liable for the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6 because he's accused of inciting imminent private violence, end quote. Government lawyers agreed with Trump that presidents are entitled to robust protections against being sued over their official duties. But in a newly filed court brief, they disagreed that the allegations in the January 6 cases against the former president entitle him to immunity at this stage. They didn't take a position on whether he should ultimately win or lose on the merits. NBC News. Two Capitol Police officers, James Blassengame and Sidney Hembley, and 11 members of Congress are seeking to hold Trump liable for injuries or damages caused during the riot. All right, well, this story just continues to uh, be perpetuated. You wonder who's uh, pushing this, the 11 congressmen and women. I'd like to see who they are. That would probably tell you a lot about where it's coming from. But there's a lot of unanswered questions. How much was the FBI involved? How much of the internal mechanism of the Capitol security forces were involved. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Epstein, the tower guard, the tower individual that was pushing people forward. All these people have been released from FBI custody or even the FBI seeking to know who they are. So there's a lot of questions out here that have not been answered on what started this so-called riot, this uh, so-called insurrection, and whether Trump is liable for it is a real stretch. So, and we've seen some of the video footage where he has asked people to go to the Capitol peacefully. And so it's those on the ground that may have gone beyond their responsibilities and may have instigated a riot, whether it's the protesters themselves or whether the FBI and the government was directly involved. Or it could have been Antifa. could have been the Antarctists as a Trojan horse dressed in Trump memorabilia trying to come across to create chaos. That's not out of the realm of possibilities. So we'll see how this goes, but it's really just been one after the other. It's the far left trying to destroy Donald Trump, who is a person that is a disruptor, somebody that wants to make change, and he's being pushed back by those that are in power. All right, headline number three. With Fetterman Feinstein out, Democrats lack outright majority. From the Washington Examiner, Democrats have lacked an outright majority this week in the Senate as a number of temporary absences complicate their ability to confirm Joe Biden's nominees and give Republicans an easier time sending legislation to the president's desk. Four senators have missed all of their votes this week, three Democrats and one Republican, underscoring just how tenacious the 51 to 49 Democratic control of the upper chamber is. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat from California, has left Washington to deal with a health matter, according to a spokesperson, and it's not clear when she'll be back for Senate votes. From Town Hall, Fetterman has been hospitalized twice already, and we're barely 100 days into Congress's current session. 
The doctor's notes, some of which were drafted by campaign donors, attesting to his health despite his refusal to disclose his medical records during the campaign, were rendered worthless when reports trickled out that he blew a fuse during a party retreat last month. Fetterman can't comprehend what others say to him, liking it to how the teachers in the Peanuts cartoons sound. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we got uh, some problems here with some of the health issues from some of the senators. Dianne Feinstein's in her, I believe, late 80s. Her health issues are beginning to have uh, problems with her ability to hold office. And, of course, uh, Fetterman, we know about his situation, his stroke, and and really the women around him should have probably not had him go forward in his election bid based on his health situation. And it's very tragic for Fetterman, and we'll have to see how that uh, plays out. The Senate chamber is very, uh, very close, and these every one of these votes have a big uh, impact <clears throat> on how, how the Democrats can get their uh, issues through and to the president's desk. All right, headline number two. New York City to pay George Floyd protesters who were arrested. From the National Review, protesters who were restrained for zip ties battered with batons and pepper sprayed will be paid millions in a new settlement reached with New York City and the NYPD. The city has agreed to pay out a total of $7 million to the protesters, which comes out to $21,500 each the highest person settlement award in mass arrest class action lawsuit. Fox News, if approved, the settlement is estimated to cost the city between 4 and $6 million, considering that only about 90 of the 300 people in attendance at the June 4, 2020 protest have already settled with the city out of court. The protest took place just days following the death of George Floyd while in police custody in Minneapolis, which sparked similar protests in cities across the country. Okay, so this is probably not a very good idea. Just shows you how liberal the city of New York City is. But when you start paying protesters settlements like this, you're just going to encourage more violence, more disruptions, because people are going to feel emboldened to go out there and protest because they know they're going to get a big payday. And to try to instigate to get hit or beaten because they know if that happens and they're going to get paid more. So you, uh, I mean, you have to look at it as, um, you know, you're here at your own risk. If you're going to protest in the streets, if you're going to be violent, if you're going to, and you, and we've all seen it. We, we it's, these are not peaceful demonstrations. They burn police cars, they throw rocks at police. They're very violent, and they should be, uh, they should be thrown in jail. And they should not be paid compensation. And if you're out protesting and you're part of uh, activities that create violence and destroy public property, then you should be thrown in jail and there should be no immunity as far as uh, retribution and payments for your actions. At least that's my opinion. All right. Headline number one. Ohio governor urges President Biden to visit East Palestine. From the New York Post, Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine called on President Biden to travel to the village still reeling from a train derailment that spewed toxic chemicals across the area last month, saying, quote, the people want to see the president, end quote. The governor, who said he's been to East Palestine four times since the accident, 
said he's spoken to the president several times and last spoke to him while Biden was in Poland to shore up support for Ukraine in its fight against Russia. From the Hill, the pressure for Biden to come to Ohio comes as former President Trump, who is seeking a return to the White House in 2024, visited the village last week, accusing the Biden administration of indifference and betrayal in its response to the derailment. All right, well, this is a typical Joe Biden. He's, he's not a leader. I mean, he went to the border once, and it was just a picture show to take pictures for the media. Didn't even really look to see what's really happening down there. It doesn't surprise me that he didn't go to Ohio. Ohio's a very much red red state. And so for him it's you know, it's he just he's an affirm president. He just he's out of it. He's not a leader and the American people can see it. And if he goes, he goes. I mean, probably most of those people probably don't even really care if he comes because they just see how uh, how he is, what kind of a president he is and same with Pete Buttigieg and his uh, trip there too, very delayed. Just been a complete fiasco as far as I'm concerned. And the Ohio people will remember that, and I hope the American people in general will remember that also in the 2024 re-election bid. All right, those are your top five headlines for this Friday, ending the week. Thanks for joining us on the Affirm America podcast. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. God bless you. See you then. This is the Affirm America podcast with your host, Marquis Vandemark. And let's never forget, America is great and we affirm it.